It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Indeed, welcome to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio, the show that seeks to give you a little bit of help and a little bit of hope on your continuing journey of following Jesus. My name is Patrick Conley, in for Chuck Neff. I, in addition to doing a little bit of work around the edges of Relevant Radio, I also work part-time for the Catherine of Siena Institute out of Colorado Springs, really helping laity to understand their role in the church and to live it to the full. Check them out at siena.org. All right, so today we are talking about one of the seven sacraments. We are talking about confirmation, the sacrament of confirmation. And uh, I I have a lot of questions myself, so I'm looking forward to having your questions uh, addressed by our spiritual director. Let's say hello to him. It's Father Carter Griffin, who is a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. He's the rector of the St. John Paul II Seminary in Washington. He's a convert to the faith, a former line officer in the U.S. Navy, and the author of the book, Why Celibacy? Reclaiming the Fatherhood of the Priest. Thanks for joining us, Father Griffin. You're more than welcome. It's good to be with you. Thanks, Patrick. Good to be with you as well. All right, so let's start the conversation here about confirmation now. Father, I have frequently thought and even occasionally said, I think confirmation is probably the least understood of the seven sacraments. Would you concur with that? I think so. I think in, in part because I think the Holy Spirit is the least understood of the three persons of the Blessed Trinity, and maybe for the same reason, because uh, he's so intimately involved in, in the Sacrament of Confirmation. And I think there's also a lot of confusion because of when it when it happens in our lives and, you know, mm-hmm. what is its relevance and things like that. So, yeah, I think I think there's some truth to that. Okay. Well, so why don't you start us out with sort of a, a baseline definition of the sacrament and then explain... Uh, why it is a sacrament. Sure. Yeah, well, you know, the way that the, um, the, way the Catechism talks about it, it's interesting. It, it calls it the completion of baptismal grace. Um, and I think that's really important because, you know, as it's one of the sacraments of initiation uh, with, together with baptism and the Eucharist. Uh, it's what, in a sense, makes us fully Christian. Um, and so it's, and yet it has this, uh, it's, it's closely associated with our baptism, which it really is what unlocks and opens up the floodgates of grace. It's when we receive sanctifying grace, when we are uh, made children, sons and daughters of God. And so this is the completion of that, which, which strengthens us with the Holy Spirit. And it also is, uh, and part of that completion also is making us, in a sense, fit instruments to, to carry on um, the spiritual battle. Uh, to to spread and defend the faith by our words and by our deeds, um, so I think all of those are kind of included in it. But yeah, that that idea of being a, uh, associated with baptism, receiving the Holy Eucharist, and and completing our baptismal grace, I think is a good way to kind of think about it easily. Wonderful. But the question soon arises when we talk about confirmation completing the baptismal graces that are work within us. Is baptism then somehow incomplete without confirmation? 
Well, I, I mean, I would say I think the Church does see these three sacraments as kind of being, you know, all sort of in a sense of a piece. They don't happen at, at exactly the same time, at least uh, ordinarily in the Latin rite, um, but they but they do all go together. And, and so in a sense, they're three legs of a stool. And I suppose we could say in that sense, all of the sacraments individually are incomplete without the others, right? They're all part of kind of the sacramental economy. I mean, we'd, we wouldn't take out one of the main arteries of our body, you know, and then say it's not important because, you know, <laughs> because it doesn't stand on its own. Well, I mean, all of them are important because they all bring the blood of life, you know, to the to whole, all parts of our body. And I think the sacraments, seeing the sacraments in the same light, so it's incomplete in the sense that it's to, it's ordered to its completion and confirmation, though, of course, we also know that baptism is in some ways the most powerful of the sacraments because it's the beginning of everything. So, yeah, it's, there's, a, there's a piece that's missing, but it's also not an imperfection in the sacrament of baptism, if that makes sense. Yes, well explained, I think. So maybe go into a little bit more depth, if you would, Father, about the differences between confirmation and baptism, and specifically, uh, you know, confirmation in many uh, dioceses today tends to be the last of the sacraments of initiation to be received, uh, chronologically speaking. Um, so how how is that set up, and what specifically, what, what are the differences between uh, receiving baptism as an infant and then being going through confirmation prep so that we are properly disposed to receive the sacrament of confirmation a little bit later on in life. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think in order to get underneath that question, I think we have to um we have to kind of think about the role of uh of and the relationship between bishops and priests, you know, apostles and then those who came a little bit later in the in the dispensation of kind of the the, the new covenant when um, they needed uh, assistance, collaborators, and those were the the first priests of the of the new covenant. Um, because I think in some some sense it's not so much why don't priests celebrate confirmation, say with baptism, at least in the Latin rite, um, but rather why are priests enabled to celebrate baptism to begin with? You know that. In other words, it was kind of it was something that the apostles did um, at the beginning, and they're now their successors, the apostles. And um, so in the scriptures, in, in the book of Acts, for example, and in Hebrews, we we see this instances these instances of the apostles going and laying on of hand the laying on of hands that happened after a baptism. Uh, and that was, and then the, the completing the grace of baptism and, and uniting that person with the Holy Spirit, um, and that understanding really, in a sense, has been kept more. Uh, it, there was an insistence upon that the role of the bishop in completing the baptismal grace, which was held on, which was held on by the Latin Church, even when the number of people became it became impossible for bishops to do that at the time of everybody's baptism. And so, in a sense, the Latin Rite held on to the importance of the role of the bishop, and that's where you had started to have this temporal separation, you know, so that the, bap- the priests were baptizing, and that at some point the bishop would come and confirm all the children in that, in that region. Um, whereas the element that the Eastern churches, both the Orthodox as well as Eastern Catholic churches, have held, held on to more is the unity of those, of those three sacraments. And so when a child is born, receiving baptism and confirmation and Holy Eucharist all at once. So I suppose, in a sense, what, what, you know, they each emphasize something different, and they've each held on to something really beautiful. And in the Latin rite, yeah, the, the, uh, that separation is because of, of the importance of the role of having the successor of the apostle come to each and every Catholic in, the, in his diocese and, and, in a sense, invoke and, and claim this person for Christ in a way that, that brings the Holy Spirit into their lives and prepares them for, for a life of, um, of, of being a, a, a disciple of Christ in the world. And I would say one other thing, and that is... Um, 
there, I, I, I totally understand these. There's a sort of a movement in many parts of the Latin Rite Church to kind of bring confirmation earlier, either to make it maybe at the same time as the Eucharist, and in some cases even earlier to the point where, you know, it's shortly after baptism where the priests are given, because priests can be given a special sort of dispensation to, to administer the sacrament, but it normally is done by the bishop. Um, and I understand the rationale behind that. I, I guess, you know, and on the other side, people will say, yeah, but on the other hand, it's really helpful because, you know, it kind of gives a reason for children to continue to receive formation, you know, in the Latin mm-hmm. rite, and, and then they kind of they kind of uh, work up towards confirmation. And, uh, you know, so you have this debate back and forth. But I would say that one aspect of confirmation does make sense for a later exercise of the sacrament, and that is this idea of kind of embracing the faith. You mentioned earlier that I'm a convert to the faith, but, you know, most people are not. And, and at some point in their kind of adult life or, you know, when they're old enough to make such a choice, everybody does have to make the faith their own. And confirmation can be an opportunity and to receive that grace of confirmation when you can say, you know, I, I now choose. It's not my parents. It's not my priests, not my teachers, but I choose to be Catholic. So there is something kind of to the wisdom of that as well. It's a, there's, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a raging debate, you know, but anyway, those are some of the different sides of it. Wonderful. I appreciate that clarification. That's helpful, Father. Do you have a question about confirmation? Do you have thoughts about the sacrament of confirmation? If you do, give us a call. Join the conversation. Our phone number here at The Inner Life is 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Perhaps you're an adult who never got the sacrament of confirmation, never received this sacrament, and you have questions about how you could go about receiving the sacrament of confirmation. Give us a call. Call 888 or send us an email at innerlife at relevantradio.com. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, much more about this sacrament, the Sacrament of Confirmation, with Father Carter Griffin, our spiritual director. Stay with us. This is today's Gospel reading from the New American Bible. Luke, chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. Raising his eyes toward his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are now weeping, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude and insult you and denounce your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy on that day. Behold, your reward will be great in heaven, for their ancestors treated the prophets in the same way. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. But woe to you who are filled now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will grieve and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets in this way. You can find all the daily readings at relevantradio.com gospel or tap the prayer tab on the Relevant Radio app.
If you're looking for a little help on your journey of faith, our priests are here for you. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. Or email us, innerlife@relevantradio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. That Relevant Radio studio line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans are available at relevantradio.com slash forester. My name is Patrick Conley, in for Chuck Neff this week, and speaking with our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., about the Sacrament of Confirmation. And, Father, you were giving some great uh, explanations about the Sacrament of Confirmation. And specifically, I know I was speaking with our producer, Nick, over the break here, and just uh, his experience, I think, is fairly typical for a lot of teenagers in in our country today, perhaps in, in the West today. But that is that uh, they kind of go along through the 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 uh, sacrament of confirmation, the prep work, and then actually receiving the sacrament more because it's something that they're expected to do, whether by their parents or grandparents or maybe other people in the church and that sort of thing. Um, And so just curious if you can talk a little bit about that specifically, if uh, you went through confirmation, not really necessarily well disposed for it or prepared for it, but received the sacrament anyway, what happens to those graces? Is a sacrament thereby invalid somehow? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, if the if as long as somebody is uh, a baptized uh, person and they're in a state of grace, um, or later become in a state of grace, frankly, um, they receive the sacrament, uh, the sacramental graces, and and the seal of the Holy Spirit. You know, one thing which kind of might be interesting also to talk about is just how this is one of the sacraments that does impress our our, our soul with a seal, with a mark. Uh, that never goes away, no matter what happens, um, and and that is still there. But but just like the grace of baptism, just like frankly any of the sacramental graces, there's um, it there's part of it which is objective, and it and it comes from God, no matter what in a sense we do. But then for it to kind of take root and actually blossom requires our uh, allowing it to and our disposing ourselves to that. And so if somebody is, for example, baptized and, and is never taken to church and is never taught the faith and is never allowed the opportunity or refuses the opportunity or turns away in sin, I mean, those, those, uh, that, that seed doesn't really grow. And the same thing is true for confirmation. We can receive the grace but not, not really have it um, flourish in our lives. And so I think for someone like that, what I would suggest is that uh, when, when, when they realize that they have, in a sense, these latent uh, sacramental graces, uh, is to avert to them, to turn to them, to realize that they're there, to learn about them, and then to nurture them, to, uh, you know, just like the, the graces of baptism, by giving it, you know, if, if you have a seed in the ground, I mean, you want to make sure you give it moisture and, 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 and sunlight and so forth, and, and good soil. And the same thing is true for, for baptism and, and confirmation, that we, that we really want to give it the uh, good soil and, uh, of our hearts and our well-disposed hearts and our good moral life, uh, feed it with prayer, give it the sunlight of, of sacramental graces, of confession and so forth. And I think we'll see ourselves grow very quickly, not just through our efforts, but above all through the efforts of of the Lord Jesus in our hearts, working through the sacraments, especially these sacraments. Um, so yeah, I right. think it's something that there's no, it's never too late. You know, I think that's kind of the bottom line. Yeah, wonderful. Well, let's go to the phones and take a phone call. Lupe is calling in. Lupe is coming calling in from Coconut Creek, Florida. Lupe, welcome to the Inner Life. Yes. Hi. Uh, good afternoon, Father. Um, good afternoon. I was 
I I was baptized as a baby. I mean, uh, baptized and confirmed at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I wonder about that. I'm Hispanic. I was born in Texas. And I don't know if that's more of a custom in the Hispanic Latino uh, community and if that happens. And if you're supposed to be confirmed by the bishop, um, and I was, I mean, I don't think the bishop was there when I was confirmed. Um, I was just wondering about that. What kind of comments you had about that? Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank I you. It gives me a chance I, to, to clarify something, because you're right. I mean, normally it would be the bishop in the Latin rite, um, but it would be a priest in the Eastern churches. And Latin rite priests can receive permission to uh, to give confirmation. But But I think maybe more to the point of what you are mentioning is that um, you know, if a child uh, seems, if there's if there's any danger to the child, then the child can and should be confirmed right away. So I'm I'm wondering if maybe you know the doctor or the or the, your parents or someone saw saw a possible danger and said that this would be better to to go ahead and celebrate this sacrament uh, right away upon your baptism. Do you know if that's the case or not? I don't believe so. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, of course, my mom and dad are both. Um, you know, deceased. I know that my mother, um, she, uh, my birthday is December 28th, and and I was uh, named after the Virgen de Guadalupe, because it's mm-hmm. her birthday is December uh, 12th. 12th. And I know that she was going to um, have me, and then uh, she went back home. Uh, okay. And then she came back to the hospital and had me, but I really don't believe there was any emergency or anything, anything. Right. Um, well, it would, it would, it would definitely be a judgment call on the part of the priest, but no, certainly a priest does have in certain circumstances, he has the, um, kind of the, you know, the, the he can, he can celebrate the sacrament. It's not as if it, it's, it's impossible for a priest to do so, but ordinarily that is reserved in a Latin right to, to a bishop doing it later on. So yeah, there could be it could be that there were some concerns that maybe your parents never never told you about or something like that when you were first born. Um, but in any event, yeah, just to kind of be at peace to know that you <laughs> you have received the sacrament, uh, if um, you know if it's been if if you know that you have been and it's been recorded properly, then I think to be very much at peace about that. It's April fifth, and and I mean I know my baptism and I know my confirmation date, but I was just wondering, does that happen a lot? I wouldn't say too often, um, but I, I think you're right. In some in some cultures, perhaps it's more more commonly done than others, but but um, but not normally. It would be more in areas of the world uh, where you know the, where the Orthodox Church is strong, or where there are a lot of uh, Eastern Rite Catholics. I think that would be more common there. All right. Well, Lupe, thank you for the call. Excellent questions about that. And knowing that uh, you have received the Sacrament of Confirmation, may you uh, rest in that. Rest knowing that the the Lord has has given that to you, the graces of the confirmation to you. Father, I just wanted to get into a little bit with you before we have our bottom of the hour break here. wanted to ask specifically about choosing a confirmation patron saint name. That's a, a longstanding tradition, especially in certain uh, certain areas anyway. Why do we do something like that? Yeah. You know, I think part of it is, and you're right, it's a custom, it's not required in the sacrament, uh, and in some parts of the world, they wouldn't even know what you're talking about, you know. But I think it's a beautiful custom, because what one of the aspects, I think, of the effects of confirmation is to unite us to the Church 
uh, more perfectly. And, and, and the church, of course, is not, frankly, primarily the church on earth. I mean, in, in a sense, we hope the greatest number of people in the church are in heaven. Uh, and so that sense of bond, that uniting us to the saints in heaven and asking for their prayers, asking for their aid, you know, choosing one in particular who can be a sort of a personal patron of ours uh, as we wade into this kind of the great spiritual battle, you know, that we're each called to, to exercise here on earth. I think it's a beautiful way of acknowledging kind of the importance and the role of the sacrament of confirmation and the fact that it unites us to them and that we, that we don't enter this battle alone and that we have a, cl- a cloud of witnesses, as the letter to the Hebrews says, uh, surrounding us all the time. And acknowledging that, I think, is an important part of receiving the sacrament, too. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, choosing our own, choo- choosing the person really should be done in prayer, maybe in consultation, you know, and, and knowing ourselves, maybe the sort of saint that we know that we need the help of, you know, uh, as, we, as, we, as we live our life. So I think taking it seriously and not just, you know, because it's a nice name or because my best friend took the same name uh, would be a beautiful way of showing honor to the, uh, to the communion of saints. To be sure. And may we ask what your confirmation saint was, Father? You know, I was, uh, my, mine is St. Michael, and in part because he's the uh, patron saint of soldiers, and uh, I was going into the Navy at the time that I was received into the church. I was in college still, um, but I knew that um, that I might need his help, and I certainly did, and he's been a great aid to me uh, in uh, yeah, also in my priesthood, you know. Wonderful mm-hmm. to have some friends in heaven like that that we can count on. Absolutely. Who is your confirmation saint name? Come call in. Tell us a story. We'd love to hear it. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Tell us your confirmation saint name, why you chose, who you chose, and share with us about your experience of the Sacrament of Confirmation. We'll be back right after this. Stay with us. Day two, Holy Mother of God, pray for us. Mary's mother of God because she's the mother of Jesus, and Jesus is God, true God and true man. The title, Mother of God, is found in the second part of the Hail Mary prayer and comes from the Greek word theotokos, which literally means the one who bears God, and has been in use by Christians since the 200s in the Holy Land. In the year 431 AD, at the third ecumenical council of all the bishops of the church held in the ancient city of Ephesus, the church fathers proclaimed the first dogma of Our Lady, that Mary is Mother of God. There was great rejoicing when the bishops proclaimed Mary the Mother of God. But some bishops resisted and joined the Nestorian heresy. If you want to remain strong in the faith, repeat many times a day, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. Pray for our church and the nation. Receive these free daily messages by signing up at relevantradio.com slash novena. If you're looking for a little help on your journey of faith, our priests are here for you. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. Or email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. My name is Patrick Conley, in for Chuck Neff this week, along with Nick Schmitz, our producer, and Lucas Holt, taking your phone calls today as we talk about the Sacrament of Confirmation. We've been talking about the sacraments here in The Inner Life with Father Carter Griffin, who's a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., and the rector of the St. John Paul II Seminary in Washington. 
Well, Father, uh, we were talking, we've been talking about the sacrament, this uh, great uh, sacrament of confirmation. And let's get into a little bit more. You mentioned this earlier, the seal of the Holy Spirit, the character that confirmation imprints upon our soul. Explain to us a little bit more about what that means. Yeah. Well, you know, it actually comes from a kind of a neat uh, image, which is the soldier in the Roman Empire. Uh, they were marked with the kind of the seal of their commanders. Um, and, you know, and you can imagine like a seal on a document, something that authenticates it. But uh, Jesus himself speaks about him, about his own human soul as being marked with his father's seal. He mentions that in John uh, chapter 6. And, and so Christians have always seen their own lives, beginning with baptism, as one in which they don't cease to become human, obviously. The, the, the soul is still a, a human soul. But it has been, it has been touched, it's been marked in such a way that is absolutely indelible. Uh, it can never be removed, and it can never be repeated. Um, and so some of the sacraments, in, uh, namely baptism and holy orders and confirmation, are, soul, are sacraments that leave a mark on the soul and, change, and, in a sense, change us. They don't change who we are or what we are, but they change our souls. Um, and, and, that, that is, and one of those, one of those sacraments is, is, that, is that of confirmation. So the Holy Spirit enters into us. There are certain effects of confirmation, you know, the uh, receiving of the, uh, a new share in the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, uniting us to the Church, like I said earlier, um, but also this, this seal. Uh, and it, it makes us ever more part of Christ and belonging to Christ. So in that sense, too, it sort of completes the, the begin, what happened at baptism. In a sense, it kind of completes that, that seal, that mark that is on our, on our souls. Mm. Wonderful. So many wonderful uh, customs and traditions surrounding the sacrament, of course, but it is, it is a sacrament of the Church, one of the seven, and it, it is uh, one of the sacraments, one of the three sacraments of initiation as well. So a very important sacrament. Perhaps you have questions about the sacrament of confirmation. Perhaps you have questions about how to get your teenagers to desire confirmation. That's a good question for Father as well. Or you have a story about your patron saint. Give us a call, 888 Again, 888 And I think someone with a story of his patron saint has called in. Efren is calling in from Bakersfield, California. So, Efren, welcome to the inner life. Efren? Is uh, is Ephraim with it? There he is. Yes. Okay. So I, I end up choosing a Saint Benedict uh, for my confirmation saint. Uh, I remember I was going through quite a bit of a different spiritual experiences at home and stuff, and I was really having a hard time going to sleep, and um, I just was going through a, a whole lot. And I remember one day I was talking to my father about this, and. My father, he was brought up Catholic, but left the church and became Jehovah. But he's always venerated the saints, which was very interesting. He's always venerated the, the Catholic saints. And one of his biggest saints that he venerates is um, St. Benedict. And so I remember telling him what I was going through and a lot of different spiritual experiences. And so he actually gave me his medal. And he was like, here. And this has been always helping me to sleep. And he's like, I don't wear it no more. So he's like, I feel like I should give it to you now. And I've been wearing it every single day uh, since of 2016. And I already knew, like, this is the thing I wanted. And I don't stop wearing it. Like, I wear it every single day. Even though I don't pray to St. Benedict as often as I should, but I know that when real moments start to happen and I really do need help, I know I always pray with uh 
uh, to the intercession of St. Benedict. And so it's something that's always been with me. And it's interesting because we started praying the rosary for my father, and he's now possibly considering to become Catholic. But it just has been such a unique experience with this because, like I said, my father was baptized Catholic, and then when he came to the Americas back like in the 70s, um, he started going to the Jehovah Church. And, um, but he's never left the veneration of the saints. Efren, thanks very much for your call. This is uh, this is Father Griffin. I just wanted to, um, you know, maybe play off a couple of things you mentioned. One is just a beautiful story about your dad, and um, it reminds me actually of a, of somebody, a woman who came in when I was newly ordained priest, and uh, she had become a Mormon, and she had been a Mormon for nine or ten years for a long time. But she said, but she never stopped praying the rosary. <laughs> so she was a Mormon praying the rosary every day. And eventually Our Lady brought her back, and there she was in my office. I'm a brand-new priest, and I'm basically helping this woman, you know, assume her Catholic faith again. And just the power of the intercession of the saints, of great saints like, obviously, like Our Lady and St. Joseph, and, uh, and, and saints like St. Benedict. Uh, I mean, they are, they are very active in the world and very active in our lives. And I, what I love about your story is that, um, is that there's a sense in which you listened to the providence of your life, you know, and I think part of, part of the way that we discover sort of the special friends that God has set aside for us in heaven, and we obviously, we each have our guardian angel, and every one of us, of course, is going to be close to Our Lady and St. Joseph and some of the other saints, but that there are going to be some other particular friends, and we're listening, our ears are open for these moments where the Holy Spirit gives us that, um, that kind of nudge, in this direction or that direction, to this uh, woman saint, to this man saint, to this child saint, whoever it might be, angel saint. Um, and you listened when your father said that to you. And because of that, it, it's become a great blessing for you. And because he spoke, it's becoming a great blessing for him as well. Um, and Benedict, of course, is one of the greats of all time, you know, and reading the, the Benedictine prayers. And uh, it's just a very powerful connection that you have to this wonderful saint in heaven. Um, so, yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. And I think it is a good, just a reminder to all of us that each one of us is called to have some of these special friends. You know, Father, as you mentioned that, it's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, too, which was there's, uh, you mentioned early on when you were defining really what confirmation is and does within us, there's a real missional aspect to the sacrament of confirmation, too, that we are equipped uh, rightly for carrying on Christ's mission within his church. Can you talk a little bit more about that as well? Sure. Yeah. No, I think that's... um it's it's one of the as I was saying it is one of the reasons why maybe doing a little bit later does make sense you know I mean again I, I kind of, I personally go back and forth as to which is the better approach but but certainly come, coming a little bit later uh, embracing in a sense like almost like a coming of age thing you know where you kind of embrace you receive the the shield and the armor and the sword you know to go out and do battle obviously not a physical battle of blood and flesh, but a, a battle of in the spirit and the spiritual world and, and bringing uh, light and bringing goodness and bringing peace into the world through our own efforts. And, and that, those efforts, of course, uh, have to be anointed by God in order for them to be pleasing to him, in order for them to really advance the kingdom of God and not just the kingdom of self. You know, and so when we, when we receive this sacrament, in a sense, we receive not only particular aids for that spiritual battle and wading into that, um, the difficulties of everyday life and, and protecting those who are defenseless among us, uh, but we also receive the grace to do so in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. 
Um, so, yeah, we can receive, for example, illumination to the mind, you know, to help understand what is true and what is false, and maybe how to help others see the truth and falsity of, of things. Uh, we receive greater courage so that we can, um, you know, do the difficult things, even when it is arduous, even when it, it might mean losing reputation or losing esteem in the eyes of others or le- losing fortune or even life, you know, down the road. Um, it, it, can, it can also enhance our, uh, our charity, right, so that we are... So we have this desire to serve souls, uh, even at even at cost of difficulty to ourselves. So in lots of different ways, it can help us to become, as you said, in that missionary element, to become a soldier of a soldier of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful. If you have a story of how the sacrament of confirmation has really helped you to live out your life as a follower of Jesus, about how it has helped you to witness to the truth, the grace, and the love of Christ in your life to others, give us a call, 888 or send us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Let's go, Efren, thank you for that call. Let's go next to Jerry, who is calling in from Madison, Wisconsin. Jerry, welcome to The Inner Life. Hi, thanks for taking my call. A couple questions. First of all, I love the sacrament, and I've taught it to all different ages, like RCA RCA and also youth. Um, My question is, how do we help youth today who are buying into all the world's pressure or, or even the parents' You know, they're teaching their children that everything that the world is teaching is okay, especially with homosexuality or or transgender, that kind of thing, and not not being critical, you know, of those people. But when children buy into that, and their parents do, how, how do we affirm them to confirm them? Yeah, thanks, Jerry, for the question. Um, gosh, it's really one of the heartbreaking ones, isn't it? When when young people are are being raised and are being, in a sense, confused about the faith, even from those who have as their one of their primary missions teaching them the gospel. And and the gospel is not something that we make up. It's not something that is kind of the the politically correct thing of the moment or what is acceptable to the world. But Jesus said quite the contrary, right? That his gospel would always be countercultural. It would always be difficult and the world hated me, then the world will hate you kind of thing, you know? So just to acknowledge that, you know, to be a Christian means um, to be willing to to be to hold difficult truths in every age, and it's always been that way. Um, and so when the people who are, who are entrusted with teaching the gospel and not their own preferences for the gospel um, are confusing our children, you know, then it, it just makes it very, very difficult for anyone else, you know, to kind of make up that, that gap. I, I would say, you know, just a couple of things. First is um, the power of prayer and of sacrifice is, it's not a throwaway line. I mean, it is very real. And to be praying for young people, especially people that we know who are kind of um, maybe having their heads turned by the very seductive uh, kind of wider culture um, and some of the, you know, some of the ways that they might be being confused at school or, or even by their friends and by their families. Um, so praying and, and sacrificing for them, trying to be a good witness ourselves. I mean, as always, you know, when we see kind of, in a sense, the faults of others, which sometimes we can't help but see, we always, first of all, see our own faults. Um, and, you know, how, how, how can I set a better example? How can I be a better witness to do the sort of things that you're doing, Jerry, which is, you know, um, doing the best you can to teach, um, to learn about these things and to teach them in RCIA and some of the young people and so forth. Uh, and I, I think to 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 be willing ourselves to be in a sense scorned or rejected because of our because of our fidelity to Christ is an important part of that. Um, and then lastly, you know, there might be you know asking for the Holy Spirit for like, like a window when you know maybe a different point of view. At the end of the day, you know, we are 
um, we are made for the truth. Uh, and, and there's going to be something that seems ephemeral, superficial, and kind of unsatisfying about the kind of the meager fare that, that people are, are, are consuming, you know, in the world. And when they encounter the truth, there is something substantial and very life-giving about it. And to be confident in that. You know, I've seen, I work in a seminary, and I, I've heard literally hundreds of vocation stories. And it's amazing how many of these young people would have been precisely the sort of folks that you're talking about, you know, being raised in families where they were maybe not brought to church or, you know, that religion was scorned or some were, you know, raised in atheist family, you know, and, and, and to see that the, that the grace of the Holy Spirit, you know, that, uh, that, that the Lord doesn't give up. He never gives up on us, and he won't give up on these young people that you're, that you're seeing, you know, and to, to have that trust that he knows what he's about um, and that we continue to cooperate with that and, and that we're not the Messiah, that he is, and we do the best we can, um, but at the end of the day, we have to entrust um, them to his mercy. Um, so keep doing, keep doing what you're doing, Jerry, and, and uh, I think together we can hopefully help some of these young folks uh, who or maybe consuming something that isn't really for their sort of, that isn't for their good, you know, that they're going to discover something a little bit more substantial down the road. Jerry, may I ask you, too, do you have any particular way that you oftentimes talk with youth about confirmation? Um. I- yeah, I do, and I I usually tell them that um, this is this is a covenant with God. You know, this is so important. This is this is a covenant they're making to love the to to love God, to follow Jesus, and they shouldn't take it lightly. Um, and don't do it just because it's that time of year or that time of time in their life that they should do it. But when when they want to stand up before the public and say this is really what I choose to do. And and maybe they're still confused or maybe they don't know, but the importance of the covenant is so important. So we talk about the covenants through Old Testament and, and of course, Christ's covenant, what he did for us for resurrection, um, and really try to bring that importance to them, that it's just not a day in their life, it's not a time for gifts, you know. It's just so important. It's like being married, you know, making that lifelong commitment. This This is not a day in their life. This is a lifetime commitment. And what do you think about that, Father, the idea of confirmation as a covenant with God? Well, I mean, I, I think what that does so effectively is it, it helps, um, it kind of reminds on the part of the person receiving the sacrament of their role in it, right? That it's that Jesus is certainly the author of the sacrament, and he's the one who's coming to us, right? That we don't go to him, that he comes to us and, and, and we receive him. Um, but that he does ask for a response. And, and I think Jerry's way of putting it is, is really effective because it, it's a reminder to us that, yeah, it's a, a covenant is always a two-way thing. It's never just bestowing one side, you know, that, that there was a response. Uh, and that response is something that they need to be taking seriously. Um, I think it's important for young people to know that even if they, if there are questions or there are still concerns or maybe some difficulties, even with the faith itself, that it doesn't necessarily rule them out uh, from the sacrament. I think the sacrament is precisely given to us so that we have these graces to to grow into our faith even more deeply. It's not. It's not the end of, uh, as Jerry was saying, it's not just a day. It's not an end of something, but it really is the beginning of a new chapter in their life of faith. Uh, and to recognize that they're never going to be sort of at some level of perfection that they need in order to receive the sacrament, but the sacrament can set them on a path to become more perfect each day. You know? And so I think recognizing that part of it as well. 
It's a wonderful choice to make, and uh, even if we don't always make it for the exact right reasons, it's a wonderful choice to make, and hopefully we will. And, Jerry, I thank you for calling in, for sharing your ideas about how to talk with youth about the Sacrament of Confirmation, which is what we're doing today here on The Inner Life, talking about the Sacrament of Confirmation with our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin. Let's go from Jerry in Madison, Wisconsin, to Patty, who's calling in from California. Patty, welcome to The Inner Life. Hi, thank you. Um, I just wanted to share my daughter's experience. Um, when she was a freshman, she went through, we signed her up for confirmation, and there was a meeting with the parents and all the kids to go there. And the priest asked the kids, who are, who, you know, how many of you are here because your parents made you come? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them raised their hand, and so, was, so did my daughter. And that really shocked me. And then um, we had a meeting with the priest, and we talked about it. And he said, you know what? She's not ready. Don't push her. So we didn't. And in the meantime, she joined choir. And I don't know, that helped her for some reason really grow spiritually. And about a year later, she said, Mom, I'm ready to do my confirmation, which was totally on her own, which was, and I actually, I think it was just, it would have been wrong if we forced her at the time. I don't know that she would have followed the, you know, the path that she did, which she's, you know, I feel like she's, you know, really connected with her faith now because she was, she went when she was ready. And I don't know how many parents made their kids go through the confirmation then, but I, you know, I am really glad that I waited and let her make that choice, which is, you know, worked out really, it worked out the way it was supposed to, I, I feel. Yeah, thanks, Patty. I I, uh, I always struggle with this because I I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it, you know the sacraments have to be received freely, and 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 when we take ownership yes. of something like that, it's just so much more powerful. And you know, I'm sure she received, you know, subjectively speaking, certainly much more than she would have just at a human level because she's ready to she's she it, she's doing it on her own. You know, I mean, it just makes every makes all the sense in the world. Um, the part that I struggle with is, you know, because, and of course, you, everyone knows their own children best, and so you knew your own daughter, but we also know that there are some children who kind of need a little bit of a nudge to do something that is, in fact, for their good, you know, and that's where the, that's what can be a hard for, for some, for some parents and some children. Um, obviously, the, you know, children don't always want to go to school, and they don't always want to, whatever, take a bath, or whatever it might be, and, you know, parents know better. Um, and in some sense, you know, or going to church, you know, on Sunday, you know, and, and, and many people will say, you know, that thank heavens my parents made me go to church or, you know, whatever. So it's hard to know where that balance is. And I think that what you did is like you discerned, you knew your daughter and you discerned, yeah, this is the right thing. In fact, that, you know, that, that she's, she's not going to leave the church and she's going to maybe find other ways that she can get a get connected to the church, and that will lead her, hopefully, you know, uh, also with your own prayers, will lead her to receive the sacrament with, um, you know, uh, with greater openness. Um, and and it may be that other parents say that, no, this is this is the right thing to kind of encourage or to, to, to insist that their children receive the, the instruction. But even then, I would say um, that your your basic instinct is, even in those cases, I think is still right. You know, at the end of the day, if the child says, I don't want to receive the sacrament, um, then the child shouldn't be forced to, you know, because uh, it's just kind of, it's setting up a kind of conflict, in a sense, with the church and, and with God that doesn't really need to be there. I mean, somebody can certainly still be fully Catholic without receiving confirmation, but at some point they will want to receive confirmation later on, um, you know, before marriage or whatever it might be. 
and uh, you know, and that becomes you know a little more complicated perhaps later in life. But uh, we're we're seeing that more and more frequently, where we have young people or you know now middle-aged people really coming along who just never received the sacrament or chose not to receive it when they were younger. So yeah, we trust we trust God's providence and trust the knowledge that parents have of their own children, uh, knowing that sometimes they do have to ask them to do difficult things, but it does have to be freely received. So I think it's just a great great point that you make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful point, Patty, and thank you, and thanks be to God that uh, you were able to discern that about your daughter, who was just needed some extra time to get maybe used to the idea of sa- of confirmation of of actually falling in love with the sacrament and then desiring it for herself. So thank you, Patty. Thank you for calling in and sharing that. Father, some of your comments made me think that it might be worth asking who can receive the sacrament of confirmation and if there are any requirements specifically uh, to receive the sacrament. Well, you know, the main the main requirement is that somebody be uh, be baptized already uh, and be in a in a state of uh, a state of grace. I mean, if if they're not, they can still receive, but they really shouldn't. Uh, you know, they should go to confession before going to con- before receiving the sacrament of confirmation. Uh, and then there would be a, a, a sponsor, which interestingly enough, a sponsor uh, is uh, it's encouraged by the church to have one of the two. Um, Baptismal godparents. It doesn't have to, but but it can. But to have somebody who's one of the godparents can be a kind of a, a connection, a sign of the of the connection back to baptism. Um, and so I, I, the reason I point that out is because there are still a lot of people who live maybe in the same town where they were baptized, where their godparents are involved in their lives, but they sort of figure that they have to choose someone else to be a sponsor in confirmation. But there can be something very beautiful in asking one of them uh, to be a sponsor in in confirmation as well. Uh, and then in the case of uh, of an adult who was baptized in you know in the Catholic Church for instance and and later wishes to become confirmed a, a local a parish priest uh would would have to get special permission from the bishop to do that but what a lot of dioceses do is have maybe around Pentecost often to have a big ceremony where the bishop actually confirms a lot of these adults who had been baptized earlier as Catholics um, now, in the case of somebody who is received into the church, uh, at, for example, at the Easter Vigil, you know, through an RCA process, something like that, then the priest would automatically have delegation to do the sacrament. So in that case, it could be just, you know, as part of the, part of the ceremony, uh, for example, at the Easter Vigil. So, yeah, and I think so more than anything else, it's just the, um, they have to be of the age of reason, they have to be baptized, they have to be in a state of grace, uh, and then this beautiful sacrament, this mark of the Holy Spirit uh, can be impressed upon the soul. And there is some, usually in most parishes, there is some uh, form of preparation for the sacrament, even for adults who did not receive the sacrament. Uh, And and that that can change from parish to parish, correct? It can, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I, and then certainly there should be the kind of the, the the formation, you know, that is needed for this, which is the understanding of the, the role of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for example, the, the role of the of confirmation, one's duties as a as a grown up Catholic, um, you know, that kind of thing. So that would be at an age appropriate level. I mean, you know, there are some dioceses that have brought this back to the age of reason, so the children are being uh, confirmed, you know, before their uh, uh, first Holy Eucharist. Um, some are being confirmed later, and so it's just depending on where, where you are in terms of that kind of formation. Mm. Wonderful. Well, Father Griffin, this has been a fascinating conversation about the Sacrament of Confirmation. I think it's helped a lot of people. It's helped me to better understand this sacrament and uh, to be grateful that I, too, like you, am a convert to the Catholic faith. So grateful that I was able to reflect a bit on some of the things that you t- spoke about before my confirmation and 
Lord willing, you know, I am still discovering how the sacrament is working within my own life. As, as always, Father, we'd like to uh, end with a blessing, so if you would, please. Certainly, I'd be very happy to, and thank you for the wonderful conversation. May the blessing of Almighty God descend upon you, Patrick, upon all those who assist you there, and upon all of our listeners, now and always, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Carter Griffin from the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., has been our spiritual director as we talked about the sacrament of confirmation and the important role that it plays in the sacraments of our lives. I thank you for tuning in and listening to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. My name is Patrick Conley, hoping to be with you tomorrow, God willing. And coming up next, as always, we have the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the source and summit of our Christian life, coming to us from the Chapel of the Nativity there in fabulous Green Bay, Wisconsin. Until then, stay, keep the faith. God bless you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Day 2, Holy Mother of God, pray for us. Mary's mother of God because she's the mother of Jesus, and Jesus is God. True God and true man. The title, Mother of God, is found in the second part of the Hail Mary prayer and comes from the Greek word theotokos, which literally means the one who bears God and has been in use by Christians since the 200s in the Holy Land. In the year 431 A.D., at the Third Ecumenical Council of all the bishops of the Church held in the ancient city of Ephesus, the Church Fathers proclaimed the first dogma of Our Lady, that Mary is Mother of God. There was great rejoicing when the bishops proclaimed Mary the Mother of God. But some bishops resisted and joined the Nestorian heresy. If you want to remain strong in the faith, repeat many times a day, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. Pray for our church and the nation. Receive these free daily messages by signing up at relevantradio.com slash novena.